0: I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Rider Shed. Hello, everybody. We are back to the School of Joyful Writing, part four. This is the final episode of this four-part series on The Rider Shed podcast. Thanks for joining us as always here. We really appreciate that. And we love talking about writing and the creative process. And uh, this fourth segment of the School of Joyful Writing is really about how to find the practice, how to do it every day. You know, I sound like a yoga teacher when I talk like this right now, you know, finding the practice and the meditative process of creative work. Well, it is a practice and it is a routine and it is a discipline. There are all those things, uh, many words you can call it. But that's what I want to talk about today in this fourth segment of the School of Joyful Writing. If you've been listening to the last three episodes, there's four and all, of course uh, I greatly appreciate that. We've seen a, a lot of people who have uh, reacted to these um these little lectures if you want to call them that, these talks about the creative process in writing and we uh and I thank you personally for for listening to this. So again, this last one is about finding your creative life, finding the practice, finding the discipline and what to do. So Let's start here. What is practice? I mean, what is it really? Um, we think of it sometimes as uh, something that we do over and over, right? What, what maybe athletes do, like running laps or doing drills or golfers hitting balls at the range. And actually, it's probably a little more complicated than that. Practice is not simply a, a line of repetition, right? Uh, it's not really incremental in a way. It is, it is, it is cumulative more so. Some people say practice equals knowledge times repetition. So what you're doing is you're gaining knowledge and then you're repeating that as a practice. So, Without learning, practice is kind of mindless. You know, you start your journey of mastering some skill, but you have to add to that skill as you go along. And I think the creative process is very much like that. You know, when we're we're beginning to uh, you know paint or do something like that, we don't we don't start out painting something that Van Gogh would have painted, right? We we start small, and we learn the techniques, and we gain from that, and we go on and on. And that really is. Really, the practice of uh, any creative process and certainly the practice for writing um, little by little. that's not to say that you're doing exercises all the time. I'm not a really big fan of exercises in writing other than to sort of open up the mind. I think if you're going to do your work, just just start your work. Uh, and if it's at the lower level of your ability, then that's fine. You'll gain from that as you move along, but you have to add to it each time. you have to move something forward so, That's really what we're talking about here in this final episode of the School of Joyful Writing, is about the practice and how to find that place in your world. So first of all, I think you have to think about, well, second of all, really, if I'm going in the linear fashion here, um, you have to think about what influences your writing, what influences your creative process. So let me give you a a little story here. Um, I've been enamored with Dylan Thomas's Boathouse in Wales, where he did a lot of his writing. A few years ago when I was sort of dreaming of creating my own writing space, this shed I'm in right now came from really what Dylan Thomas had in Larne, in Wales. It was always on my mind. In many ways, I modeled this writing shed on the property that Thomas had in Wales. It's a It has white walls. The window is uh, over the desk. Uh, I tried to create a bit of a beautiful space and I I modeled it a little after the boathouse. Now, that boathouse is sort of a museum of a kind now, and it's somewhat staged a bit because people want to see what it might have looked like when Dylan Thomas was there. But it is, um, my understanding, it was left pretty much the way he left it. So there is a bit of authenticity there to Thomas's Larn Boathouse. So not too long ago, I was reading a, a book called Dylan Thomas and the Writing Shed, And when I closed the book, I took a break from it, and I looked at the cover, and I noticed something there. There's a photo of a traveling replica shed of Dylan Thomas's, and his tweed coat is draped over the chair. Now, I also have a wonderful watercolor that my wife uh, bought for me a few years ago up here in the shed on the wall, and it shows his desk and his chair. But that particular a particular uh, jacket of his, that coat is not on that chair in the watercolor. But if you look at photographs online uh, from the actual boathouse, you'll see that that uh, coat hung over the chair. And when I saw it, I, I really kind of smiled because years ago I took several photos of my shed, this place where I'm speaking from right now, for a piece that I was writing uh, for the uh, online site Medium about developing the shed. And One of them showed the photo of my coat hung over the chair. My coat draped over the chair, just like Dylan's coat. Now, this was not a conscious act. I did not deliberately do that. It kind of came from somewhere else, somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind. The creative process is, you know, one of nuance, really. Many times our inspirations and our influences are not big, hard knocks on the head, but they arrive as sort of whispers, you know, when you're not paying attention. They kind of sneak through our dreams. They tiptoe and hide in the shadows. They're tiny. They are small. They come in muted colors. The creative mind holds onto images we have filed away, onto words and sounds, and also holds onto the, the subtleties in the creative process. That coat on the back of the chair is such a simple thing, but it also shows me what influences me, what gives me wonder in this process. And I want you to think about that. Maybe not as specifically as a coat on a chair, but when you read a book or you look at a painting or you read a poem, what in that, what in that thing sends your heart a flutter? What What gives you wonder? That is part of what you need to understand is giving you the impetus to move forward with your creative process. There's something in there. You don't need to overstudy it but you need to sort of recognize it. And through that, through that sort of understanding of that, I think stories and ideas come to you. They come because you've been influenced by something. There's a, there's a wonder uh, uh, that enters the room that sometimes you don't even know. So how do you pay attention to things like that? What do you do um, to sort of change your gaze on the world? Well, there's there's a few things I want you to think about. There are five ways I think you can be a good observer of your world, and your creative world, and everything else around you, and how to turn that into what you see and experience. How to turn what you see and experience uh, in everyday life into some strong creative work, maybe writing. Right. So the first thing is to turn outward. Consider your external life. It's easy to go inward and consider what you feel on your in your own head and your heart and find inspiration there, but Our interior lives, of course, are unquestionably interesting, but looking out to others is the key to finding more stories. To talk to that neighbor you have not said much to lately, or call a friend you haven't talked to in a long time, and then allow their worlds to come into yours. So looking outward, sort of turning outward is a a good process. Slow down. That's another thing. It is infinitely more difficult to see what is all around us when we are in a big, hurry right certainly the world is always pushing us but truly observe to truly observe with clear eyes you have to step off that moving train for a while you take a a moment in time make a point to take it slow to like take a leisurely walk to sit on a bench in a park to take your time this third thing um You've certainly heard about it before. It's been said a lot, and you read about it a lot when you look at you know, best practices for the creative process. But this one is, is really something I believe in. It's called Keep a Notebook. Uh, you've heard that before. How many times have you heard it? Uh, many times, probably. It is important to offer it again, though, because the writer's notebook, that is where all your observations go. You need to write this stuff down. What you see, what you witness, what you watch, what you feel, what you think in detail. If the autumn trees are red, what color red? You know, what kind of bird is that in your tree? Not just the sound of it or the that there's a bird there, but maybe what kind of bird? Uh, what do those leaves smell like? You know, write it all down. Use your senses to guide those notes in that notebook. And when it comes time to write, you know, refer to the notes. Look at your journal. Um, they're like little diamonds out there. Now, I'm not a believer that you have to write in your journal every day or that you have to write extensively in your journal. It could be you know, a drawing, a little poem, a little haiku, a few words, one observation. It can be very, very simple, but to keep it and write it down helps your brain process it a little stronger than if you just say, "Oh, I gotta remember that. Writing it down really kind of delivers it to your psyche. Another another process is to pay attention to the world. and what I mean by that is pay attention to, the news. Pay attention to what's going on. Read the paper. You know, look online. Um, you know, Pay attention to your hometown. Listen to the radio. Uh, talk shows and interview programs. There are an infinite number of stories out there. Podcasts, all kinds of things. I once read in the news about a strange and highly intricate diamond robbery, and I used some of that in details for a story that I did, that I wrote about. Um, so pay attention to the world. There is a, an enormous amount of material out there uh, that's in the real world you don't have to make it up uh, but you can take from it and you can use it. And the last thing on this list of observation is to listen. I can't stress this enough. None of us listen as we should. Um, truly good listeners are uh, a few and far between. The best way to learn how to do this is to uh, is to stop thinking about what you are going to do or say next. Stop your mind. stop thinking about yourself. Just for a little while, you know, think about the conversations you're hearing in a coffee shop or in a grocery store or on the commuter train or, you know, I once used this prompt for a student uh, in a writing class, take the elevator and keep writing it until you hear a conversation take place in that elevator, either a full one or a part one, maybe even a one-sided phone call, you know, listen and you will hear. Hearing will spark an idea for you. And then you can fit parts of that, what you hear, what you listen to, what you've gathered through your ears into a story. So these are all parts of uh, a routine, a discipline, uh, of, of finding a practice, right? So the next thing is to decide what you want to be as a writer. How, how do you want to fit that into your world? You know, do you want to publish 10 books? Do you want to write little essays for? you know, a small literary magazine or your local newspaper or some online blog. I mean, what is it that you really hope to do? You don't have to have that goal solidified, but you should start to think about it. So, how do you do that? How do how do you figure that out? Number 1, decide early on what it is that's important to you. Do you want to write or do you want to publish? If your biggest goal is to get a book out into the, into the world, then consider trends and consumerism. Think about what people are already reaching for. If vampires are a big deal, then write about vampires. You get the idea, right? But if it's the writing that most interests you, then write the book that you want to read. Forget about the trends. The second choice, however, means that you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to scratch and crawl your way through the publishing world to find the best home for your work. If you're ready for it, then take your time and keep plugging away. There are hundreds of stories of people who pitch their books to dozens and dozens of publishers with continuous rejections for years and years and years. And then one day, someone said yes. I've had that experience. I've just had a book, um, a novella that I wrote several years ago that I couldn't find a place for because nobody takes novellas. And I finally found Outpost 19, in San Francisco, that publisher decided to do an initiative on short novels. Well, there you go. <laughs> there, I found my home. Uh, they like the book, and uh, you know it's going to be out very soon, called The Islander. So, it, 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 And I wrote that book well, like years ago. Couldn't find a home. The second thing is understand marketing. Now, I know this is not about the, the beautiful part of the creative process, but you really have to understand marketing out there these days. It's not the fun part of being an author. You certainly have to read and you have to pay attention to this um, either way, though. The reality is that most publishers are going to do minimal marketing for your book or your work. They're just not, uh, unless you're with one of the big five, which is now probably the big four these days. So do one of two things. Hire a professional, learn a lot about social media marketing that actually works. I know that sounds not sexy, but it's very, very true. Much of what is marketed now in terms of publishing is done through social media, and it's not just about tweeting your book. That really means nothing. There's a real strategy, and the people who know how to do this know how to do it well. Marketing a book is really—it's a marathon, not a sprint. You may have heard that before. It's very true, um, but it is absolutely true, and it's something you have to consider. So, you're going to self-publish. You're going to look for a publisher. Well, there's there's merit to self-publishing. But you must hire a good editor, you hire a good book designer, you hire a good printer, you hire a good marketer. It costs money to self-publish. Plus, don't plan on making it back. If you do, it'll be a big surprise. Good for you, but don't expect it. The biggest mistake self-publishers make is to forget that their book is competing with the big boys and the big girls. And your story, your editing, your interior design, your cover, they all have to be as good or better than most of what's already out there. Look at the covers of your favorite books in your genre and emulate that style and approach and then find something about your book that will make it stand out. There are an awful lot of badly designed books out there, poorly edited books out there. I know of one self-published book that had 14 exclamation marks in the first two paragraphs. That's not a good thing. I guarantee you this was never edited by a professional editor or any editor at all. So you need to do your work. Now, if you've decided that, you know, you'd love to be published, we'd all like to share our work, right? But if you just want to make sure that you write and you get joy from that writing, right? That's really what these podcasts are all about. Then I'm going to give you one piece of advice about that. Don't start out writing for money. Don't do it. There are four good reasons why you should not write for money. I really believe in this. Number one, it's going to disappoint you. Writing for money only is, well, it's, it's a soulless idea. It's, it's not where the art is. And you will, you will lose that wonder that you had about writing if you're, if you're always pushing to find the next sale. Number two, it throws off all your artistic balance. Art comes from the heart first. Yes, it can come from the head too. But if one cannot feel the beating, then it was never art in the first place. Number three, It compromises your priorities if you're writing for money. Why is it that you started writing in the first place? Well, your love of words, probably. That was your first love. Don't forget that. And number four, writing for money commercializes the artistic process. One judges a society by how it treats its poorest and its artists. This treatment is the measure of a culture, and it should be the measure of your discipline. Now, if none of that convinces you, <laughs> and I sound like some altruistic, crazy person. This is a quote from Ray Bradbury, one of the greatest writers of all time, certainly short story writers. Don't write for money. This is a quote from him. Don't write for money. Write because you love to do something. If you write for money, you won't write anything worth reading. Okay, finally, in this podcast, Finding a sort of discipline uh, in terms of a place to write, when to write, all those kinds of things. Let me talk about place, first of all. Well, you know that I write in a shed, right? It's called the Writer's Shed. This is where I write. This is where we're recording right now. It's based off of Dylan Thomas's Boathouse in Wales. I get inspiration from that. And I find it um, you know, a wonderful thing to think about and to walk into the shed when I have my time to write. Um, so how do you get started figuring out where you're going to write? I feel blessed that I have this shed, but you know, maybe you don't have a shed or maybe you don't have a lot of space in your home or, you know, where, where is it that you're going to find that writing space? So here's how to get started. Think about things, um, that are important to you. So number one, do you like writing in a place that's quiet or a place that's busy? A secluded place or a busy place? Some writers love to work in bars, in cafes in coffee shops where there's conversation and the kind of a hum of humanity. Others need solitude. Which one is you? Do you like a cluttered or a sparse space? Some say a messy office suggests a cluttered mind. That may be true, and that may be you too, but others like it clean and minimalistic, one candle burning, and maybe a notebook, and that's all they want, right? Find out which one of those things is you. Do you mind the cluttered space? Do you love that sort of feel of a of a used bookstore, you know, that kind of feel? Or do you like it very clean? Figure that out. And last, are you a morning writer, a night writer, an afternoon writer, a middle-of-the-night writer? For me, I'm a, I'm a morning writer generally. I like the early light of the day. My shed's blinds are open to receive the early hours of the day. I love that. Others love the dark corners. You know, they like the night. Being certain of your time of day preferences is important. is important to make sure the space you choose matches you and what gives you joy to write. So as always, I, I put a few exercises on my website if you're into exercises that might help you. And really, this time around, for the last one, I, I'm, I'm going to put some just some thoughts in there. And they're really about finding a routine, finding out what works for you, um, finding a space, the optimum time of day to write, and, uh, and, and, and how that process is going to work for you. That's really a trial and error thing for a lot of people. But I urge you to find the thing that works best for you. Sometimes it's a matter of lifestyle. You know, you have children, you have kids, you've got other obligations. Um, you have to make those choices. But find that particular space and time and process that gives you joy to write. Thank you so much for being part of this uh, process for the School of Joyful Writing. If you're just new to us, go back and listen to parts one, two, and three. There are four in all, and I'm very grateful for you taking part in this process. And hopefully it has helped you or given you some sort of uh, inspiration, a little impetus to get out there and find your writing life. I'm David W. Berner, the Writer Shed podcast, always produced right here in the shed. You can find out more about the writer's shed at writer's shed on medium you can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us at writer's shed press on twitter and of course at david w burner on twitter and instagram the writer's shed is available wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening